At Giant Eagle, you may have spotted the Stacker. With uncanny MyPerks ability, she stacks up the perks to choose either dollars off or up to 20% off her entire grocery bill. The Stacker, stacking up huge savings with MyPerks. Find your MyPersonality and transform your shopping into free gas and groceries. Full details at GiantEagle.com slash MyPerks. Perks cannot be earned or redeemed on select items. Restrictions apply. Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around. A watch she can wear every day from Movement. Whether your mom is into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, Movement has something she'll love. And right now, everything at Movement is up to 50% off site-wide during their Mother's Day sale. A watch is a gift that celebrates all the time you spent with mom. And a Movement watch is even more than that. Movement uses industry-leading materials for their fresh modern watch designs, from technically complex ceramics to vintage-inspired style, all for an incredible value your wrist and wallet will both love. And with one-size-fits-all convenience and fast-free shipping and returns, it's a stress-free shopping experience. Save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with Movement. Get up to 50% off site-wide during their Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com. Welcome to the Kotke Ride Home for Wednesday, March 16th, 2022. I'm Jackson Bird. Today, how prohibition was far more global and far more progressive than it's often portrayed. And is the United States about to stay in daylight saving time forever? Here are some of the cool things from the news today. Sometimes it's still wild to me to think that we had nearly 13 years of prohibition in the United States. For the whole 20s, the manufacture, sale, and transportation of intoxicating liquors was illegal. There was a whole amendment to the Constitution which a significant majority of Congress members and states voted for. Imagine that kind of political unity today. Looking back, prohibition is often painted as something put forth by moralists trying to regulate everyone else's behavior, perhaps a part of the growing evangelical movement at the time. And at least in portrayals in popular culture, we shake our head at those and extol the speakeasy-goers, the flappers, the bootleggers and the rum-runners, the gangsters, and the entrepreneurs just trying to keep business afloat. As narrator Peter Coyote opines in the start of Ken Burns' Prohibition miniseries, quote, citizens became criminals and criminals became kings end quote. But Mark Lawrence Schrad, associate professor of political science and the author of the book Smashing the Liquor Machine, A Global History of Prohibition, argues it was all a bit more complex than that. Prohibition was not a, quoting him, moral crusade of fringe crackpots, end quote, but rather a crucial puzzle piece of the progressive movement. Temperance was not regressive, but rather revolutionary. Nor was it just an American thing. Around the world, calls for temperance came from marginalized populations and those railing against the economic exploitation that often accompanied the production and sales of alcohol and other vices. Quoting Shrad in The Atlantic, In Russia, the first country to introduce a version of prohibition, critics of the imperial autocracy, which included the great writer Leo Tolstoy and the revolutionaries Vladimir Lenin and Leon Trotsky, condemned the Tsar's vodka monopoly, which funded royal splendor on the drunken misery of the masses. 
Social Democrats in Sweden pushed for a government monopoly on the liquor traffic so that profits would benefit the whole society, not just the ultra-wealthy. Belgian Social Democrats drew parallels between the liquor subjugation of the working classes and the brutalized Africans in Belgium's Congo colony. In the autocratic German and Austro-Hungarian empires, Social Democrats were joined by liberals, such as the Czechoslovak founding father Tomasz Masaryk, who saw a sober and uplifted population as a precondition for political independence and democratic self-government. Throughout the far-flung British Empire, which was partly built by peddling opium to China and liquor everywhere else, temperance was also linked to national liberation. Ireland sober, Ireland free was the rallying cry of generations of nationalists, from the United Irishmen to Daniel O'Connell to Sinn Féin, who understood that it was the English who profited from selling liquor, leaving the downtrodden Irish in drunken poverty. In Bechuanaland, present-day Botswana, the dry King Kama III stood against the alcoholic incursions of Cecil Rhodes and his British South Africa company, who saw only profit in exploiting Kama's native land and people. Mahatma Gandhi was a prohibitionist in India for the same reason. He understood that liquor revenues were vital to the British Raj, and abstinence would starve the British occupiers of that money. And when the British and European powers carved up the former Ottoman Empire after World War I, even the heavy drink Kamel Ataturk turned to prohibition to prevent the Europeans from capitalizing on his people. End quote. Here in the States, Native Americans were the first to push for temperance. Industrial-level distilled liquors were one of the many things introduced to Native Americans by the white Europeans that, usually intentionally, led to horrific hardship and tragedy among the tribes, and became a way for them to accuse the Native American people of being inferior due to their low tolerance and subsequent drunken behavior. According to Shrad, leaders including Little Turtle, Black Hawk, Red Jacket, and Tecumseh all fought against the white man's wicked water, the effects it had on their people, and the ways it was weaponized against them. Later, in the 19th century, temperance became tied to abolition. Most of the major abolitionists were prohibitionists. Frederick Douglass, Ida B. Wells, W.E.B. Dubois, Sojourner Truth, Booker T. Washington, and their white allies like Abraham Lincoln and William Lloyd Garrison also supported temperance. Quoting Schrad in a separate piece in Politico from last year, quote, The secret to understanding black prohibitionism, and prohibitionism more generally, is to realize that the liquor in the bottle, the morality of drinking, and the eternal fate of the drunkard's everlasting soul were, at best, secondary concerns to temperance activists. Instead, the primary target of their ire was the liquor traffic, predatory capitalism, and the immorality of getting one's fellow man addicted to promote your own profit. If you look at the opioid epidemic today and bristle at big pharma making billions by hooking vulnerable people on oxycontin and then bleeding them dry a hundred years ago you would probably have been a prohibitionist same thing different drug Add to this the political dynamics. The brewers, distillers, and saloon keepers who were making money hand over fist tended to be well-to-do whites. And while their clientele included mostly men of every color and creed, those communities that paid a disproportionate price for their men's addiction, primarily women, African Americans, and Native Americans, had no vote, no legal standing, no political or economic power, and thus no recourse in opposing their systemic alcohol subordination. End quote. 
And yes, prohibition was also connected to the suffrage movement. This is likely something you've heard before, at least you've maybe heard about its connection to the white women's suffrage movement, women fighting for prohibition because they largely bore the brunt of drunkenness and alcoholism in their husbands or other men in their lives, and yet had no rights or power to affect significant change against it. Or as Strad puts it, quote, securing equal political rights was the only way to confront the entrenched political power of the corrupt liquor machine. End quote. The National Park Service even has a table on their website tracking the concurrent developments in abolition, women's rights, and temperance throughout the 19th and 20th centuries, showing the overlap of causes and characters throughout each. These were all parts of the reform movement, and Schrad points out how common portrayals of prohibition being reactionary can't account for how it possibly could have happened at the height of the reform movement in the U.S., And even relatively more encompassing pop histories often fail to account for all of the marginalized actors in the movement. Schrad calls out the Ken Burns Prohibition miniseries in particular for not including a single character or interviewed expert of color. Everyone in it is white. Apart from the key role that many black men and women played in fighting for temperance, this erasure from popular histories can also fail to account for the times that white people prohibited the sale of alcohol to black people as part of the slave codes in the South. Even though records indicate black people drank to excess a third as much as their white counterparts, white people came up with all sorts of fear-based myths about black men in particular and the atrocities they would commit if given access to alcohol, myths that were used to justify accusing black men of crimes they rarely actually committed. And in part for those reasons, many black activists supported temperance for all, so it couldn't be used against them in particular. As Schrad wrote in Politico, quote, Prohibitionism was not about legislating morality. Instead, it hit at the heart of that fundamental disjuncture between America's lofty promises of freedom and equality and the base reality of a caste system of political and economic subordination based on racial hierarchy. Generations of black activists have worked tirelessly to transform the latter system into the former. And in this moment, when America is undergoing a wholesale reappraisal of its own history, it's worth appreciating it as such. End quote. You know, I think the ban on alcohol seems so bizarre to some of us now that it can be easy to paint it as this black and white issue, a momentary lapse in judgment or victory of a niche movement over the pro-alcohol masses. But just like about every major event, it was one with a complex and far-reaching web behind it. And we do ourselves, and so many communities, a disservice when we look back at history merely through our present-day lenses and fail to account for the context and nuance of the time. All that said, I do still have a bit of a weak spot for cultural portrayals of speakeasies. I love hitting up bars here in New York that are in the same location of real speakeasies from the 20s, or the decadent Oscar Wilde-themed bar that currently occupies the former Prohibition Enforcement Headquarters. I mean, the truth is, as I've covered in various stories on this podcast, a lot of really creative innovation did come out of Prohibition. But just like a really good Prohibition-era cocktail, with its blend of citrus juices masking its illicit intoxicants, there is far more to the story than initially meets the eye.
Well, speaking of the U.S. government making a huge sweeping change that sounds kind of hard to believe, if you are in the U.S., you probably heard about this at the end of yesterday. The Senate just voted unanimously to make daylight saving time permanent. Now, I've been pro-permanent daylight saving time ever since moving up north where it can get dark before 5 p.m. during the winter, but I never thought it would happen. Senator Marco Rubio has been putting forth legislation to make it permanent for years and has never garnered much support. Vox points out that this vote in the Senate was probably very well-timed. We just changed our clocks on Sunday here in the States, and so a lot of the legislators were probably still feeling the ill effects of having lost an hour. We're still waiting to hear if this Sunshine Protection Act will go to the House at all, where it would need to be voted on before it could go to President Biden's desk to be signed into law, but this is already so much further than I ever thought a proposal like this would get. I mean, a unanimous vote, too. That is pretty wild. Of course, if it does go to the House, I would not be surprised if some representatives find a way to be against it. After all, while the Senate recently had another unanimous vote to ban lynching, the House couldn't even get a unanimous vote on that. Of course, they don't need a unanimous vote for it to be passed, but still. And even outside of my speculations about the House of Representatives, not everyone is happy about the proposed change. I've seen grumbling on Twitter already that we should make standard time permanent instead of daylight saving time. And where you fall in the argument tends to be based on where you live and what your line of work is, although people overwhelmingly tend to favor daylight saving time. And there are some great maps made by Andrew Woodruff in the Vox article in the show notes that does show how much of the nation will have more darker mornings if daylight saving time goes all year round. Sunrise could be as late as 9-11 a.m. on the shortest day of the year in Grand Rapids, Michigan. But almost the entire nation will have sunsets after 5 p.m. all year round, meaning more people getting to actually see the sun after work. Some argue that afternoon sunshine makes people happier, and many advocates point out that having more daylight hours after school will get more kids outside and being active. But whichever way you swing, the biggest thing most people don't like is the change. It doesn't matter which becomes permanent to a lot of people so long as we just stick to one. And why don't we? How did this mess happen? Maybe you've heard something about it having to do with farmers, giving them more hours to work in the sunlight through the growing season and into harvest time. Well, in fact, according to Ag America, farmers were against daylight saving time when it was first implemented during World War I. Some prefer standard time because they want to get an early start in the morning, but again, the biggest complaint was about the change. Cows and other livestock don't understand clocks. They go by the sun and their normal routines. If the clock goes back an hour, the farm workers have to get up even earlier or else try to train their livestock on the new schedule, and as soon as they're used to it, it switches again. So if it wasn't to support farmers, why did we implement daylight saving time? Conservation. Quoting Vox, Daylight saving time in the U.S. started as an energy conservation trick during World War I and became a national standard in the 1960s. The idea is that in the summer months, we shift the number of daylight hours we get into the evening. So if the sun sets at 8 p.m. instead of 7 p.m., we'd presumably spend less time with the lights on in our homes at night, saving on electricity. It also means that you're less likely to sleep through daylight hours in the morning since those are shifted an hour later too, hence saving daylight hours for the most 
productive time of the day. But this premise never seemed to pan out. The presumed electricity savings of taking advantage of more daylight in the evening turns out to be unclear or non-existent. End quote. Alright, so I guess we won't really be seeing any energy savings if this switch goes through, but we will probably sleep better and get into less car accidents. Quoting again, One hour of lost sleep sounds like a small change, but we humans are fragile, sensitive animals. Jet lag can mess with our metabolism. Extreme versions of it can contribute to diabetes or obesity. In the short term, jet lag dulls our mental edge. And when our biological clocks are off, everything about us is out of sync. Our bodies run this tight schedule to try to keep up with our actions. Since we usually eat a meal after waking up, we produce the most insulin in the morning. We're primed to metabolize breakfast before even taking a bite. It's more efficient that way. Being an hour off schedule means our bodies are not prepared for our actions at any time of the day. End quote. And if the Sunshine Protection Act does actually go all the way to becoming a law, at which point it would be implemented starting in 2023, it may not last. President Nixon actually made daylight saving time year-round back in 1973, and was widely supported when the bill was being considered, but after actually experiencing it for a while, people began to hate it. It did nothing to help with energy costs, people didn't like sending their kids to school in the dark, and they said it messed with their circadian rhythms. And Slate points out that President Biden was in Congress back then, and will remember the backlash the law faced, so he might actually think twice before signing this new version. Maybe. It seems like some kind of tide certainly turned to get that unanimous vote in the Senate. Could this autumn be the very last time we here in the U.S. ever fall forward? So I threw a couple of bonus prohibition links for you in the show notes. One is a re-up of the episode I did in February about entrepreneuring vineyard owners who started selling wine bricks to get around prohibition laws while continuing to operate. And also an old Thrillist article about some of the best prohibition-era cocktails, including a bit of history of each one and how to tell if the one you're being served is legit. A bunch of my favorite drinks are on the list. French 75, Gin Ricky bees knees. Also in the show notes is last year's episode about how St. Patrick's Day is a quintessentially Irish-American holiday, perhaps even more so than an Irish one, at least how it's commonly celebrated today. And conveniently enough, that is also the episode in which I talked about people's attempts to make daylight saving time permanent. So if you missed it last year or want to listen again, or maybe just want to share it with some folks, the link is there in the show notes. And that is it from me for today. As always, this show was produced by Ride Home Media and Kotki.org. I'm Jackson Bird, and I'll talk to you again tomorrow.